Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. We have a really, really good episode for y'all this week. In fact, I think this episode is so good that I have almost zero of an intro this week because I just want to jump into it, uh, and we have a very nice, long interview that I want to get to. So I have some quick, quick announcements, just kind of update you guys. Uh, First, this coming weekend, I have a couple guys from the Sportsman's Empire coming down. We have Nick from the Huntivore podcast, and we have Andrew from the O2 podcast. Those guys are headed down this way. Actually, I think they're already on their way. They're leaving some, some nasty snowstorms behind. They're coming down to our nice... Uh, I was about to say sunny. It's been sunny, but I think this weekend it's going to be terrible, nasty, rainy. But hopefully, between all that, we're going to have some time to find some hogs. Um, these guys, I, I know they've never killed one. I doubt they've even seen a wild hog. Uh, Nick is from Michigan, and Andrew's from Ohio. So they just don't have that problem up there. So so anyway, excited to have those guys down. Um, show them the ropes. Hopefully, we have some success uh, then the only other quick thing is uh, basically as soon as those guys leave, I'm going to be headed to Nebraska to try to bow hunt some Merriam turkeys uh, at my sister and her husband and their family's place. So yeah, uh, keep your fingers crossed for me. I've never hunted Merriam's. I haven't done much uh, turkey hunting with my bow. Uh, actually, one of the first turkeys I ever called in, I shot with my bow. But since then, I've kind of just switched over to the shotgun. But uh, just kind of the timing with work and everything, I'm going during their archery season, so that's why I'm going to be bow hunting. So keep your fingers crossed. I'm taking my daughter with me, actually. And so, uh, yeah, pray for the road trip. I think it's like an eight or nine hour drive, something like that. Um, And then pray that my sister is uh, gracious and willing and loving enough to keep my little baby girl for a few hours, along with her own baby son, who's just three months younger than my daughter. So that I can do a little hunting. So so anyway, uh, like I said, I don't want to drag this intro out too long. We're talking to Michael Arnett. And Michael's one of many people who reached out to me about a lot of the legislation that's uh, that I covered about two weeks ago. But when I recorded that episode, a lot of that stuff had really just come out. I mean, like I think the day before is when some of it was announced. Um, so I, I was kind of heated. I was kind of passionate about it. But I, I didn't have a ton of facts yet. Um, I just didn't have enough time to do research. Uh, but Michael has really, really done his research, and one of the reasons I uh, wanted to have him on also is that Michael was raised in Oklahoma, but he actually a couple years ago moved to Kansas, and so some of the stuff we talk about and cover uh, would actually kind of hurt him as a non-resident, and so if someone's still willing to suggest that type of stuff, I think it's worth listening to. Um, Another reason is because he lives in Kansas. We covered the Kansas trail camera ban, uh, which he's very knowledgeable on again. 
hunts a lot of Kansas public land. And so just another kind of thing. And I, like I said, it's good to get everybody's perspective on all this stuff. So we cover the trail camera ban. We cover uh, the air bows. We cover the proposed velvet season. Um, just all the crazy stuff that's been going on in the state right now. And uh, I think I actually have another episode we're going to do on this. Um, again, just from a kind of another perspective. Um, and I just, again, like I said last time, I just feel like this stuff is really important and I feel like I haven't done a good enough job of using this platform to talk about important topics like this. So, um, so yeah, we're going to have this episode, probably one more on it. Um, and then, you know, if something else happens, we might do another one, but for now, probably going to do these two more and call it good for a little while. Kind of get back to our normal, uh, educational entertainment type stuff. So Anyway, that's what we got planned. Like I said, it's a nice long one. We're going to hear a quick word from our partners, and we'll get into the interview right after this. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, The mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Private water fishing has opened up dozens of private lakes in Oklahoma and Texas for your personal use. You can reserve your own professionally managed lake for a whole or a half day and you're even allowed to bring guests. No boat, no problem. Most of these lakes have some type of watercraft on site for you to use free of charge. And again, these aren't just little farm ponds. These are 10 plus acre private lakes professionally managed for large bass. Some of these lakes even pay you for taking out undesirable fish. You could literally pay for your day of fishing by fishing. If this sounds good to you, go to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for a membership. We had the guys from Arrowhead Land Company on a while back. And if you listen to that episode, it was pretty obvious the guys are big-time hunters. So if you're looking to buy or sell a piece of hunting property, why not call someone who truly understands what they're looking at? The crew at Arrowhead will work hard for you to not only find you the best buyer or seller for your property, but also to guide you through the entire process while keeping your goals in mind. Give them a call and let the hard-working agents go to work for you. Do you have a big folder of trail camera pictures on your phone or computer and have no idea what to do with them? Well, if you want those pictures to help you out this fall, you should be uploading those pictures to DeerLab. DeerLab is more than organization. It's real-life usable data. It can help you keep up with individual bucks and their travel patterns to put you in the right place at the right time. I use the historical data from DeerLab to put a nice buck in front of me this year that I had been tracking for over three years. Check them out at DeerLab.com, and don't forget to use code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS for 20% off. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and today we're talking to Michael Arnett. How you doing, Michael? Doing good. Good, that's good to hear. I, uh, I'm going to warn you and our listeners, I uh, pretty much ran in the door after a long afternoon of work. Uh, for some reason, my computer was shut down, I'm not sure why. And so if I seem a little uh, frazzled or, you know, it's like I can't talk today, that's what's going on. So I just wanted to give everybody a little heads up. But anyway, Michael, how are you doing today? Um, yeah, how's your day been? Oh, not too bad. Busy like Good. yours. I yeah. was scrambling myself, got my notes together here. So, uh, Awesome. Yep. 
Well, man, we have a lot to cover today, um, but before we really jump into it, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm um, born and raised Oklahoman. Um, was born in Tulsa. My parents lived. My parents are originally um, from Southern California, and we lived there for about five years, and then moved back. So from about eight or nine on. I grew up in Oklahoma, and um, I've always just loved wildlife and hunting and fishing even, and, you know, so just another guy who loves to hunt and fish and enjoy the outdoors. Well, man, you are, uh, you're, you're one of many people who's reached out to me in the last few weeks. Um, <laughs> I've already talked about it a little bit on previous podcasts about just all the stuff that's going on in Oklahoma right now, um, you know, legislation things. Uh, stuff in the wildlife mm. department, um, stuff, yeah, just kind of all over the gambit, uh, and it's kind of funny. It seems like, it seems like all this just kind of came about all at one time. Um, so anyway, so we're going to be covering a lot of that stuff today, and uh, it sounds like you are very well prepared, um, and I'm looking forward to getting your take on all this. And so, uh, man, do you want me to to pick a topic? You want to start us off? Okay. Well, let's see. So we're we're talking politics, so. Mm-hmm. The opinions I voice are may or may not be the opinions of the podcast, <laughs> um, but we're just going to talk about wildlife policy, I guess. And uh, I, I mm-hmm. hope to share my my. Yeah, if you if you have something that you want to butt in with, feel free to. But I guess we so we got got the trail camera ban in Kansas on public land. Um, I could touch on that. We've got um, two different air gun bills or air bow bills, depending on how you want to call them, in the Oklahoma House and Senate. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a burgeoning development of Oklahoma resident and non-resident hunting policy. So, and then we can always talk about stick bows. Um, if you wanted as well, but mostly I wanted to touch on anything that would be helpful to you. So, yeah. What do you want to start yeah, out with? Man, I I always love talking stick bows, but that might not be the pressing matter in this <laughs> in this instance. And so, uh, so if if we have to, we can bring you back another day. So I think let's start uh, on some of this other stuff first. Um, okay. Man, you you started with the the Kansas Trail Camera Ban. That's something that uh, a lot of people are are pretty fired up about. So let's start there. Yeah. So I represent the, the I'm okay with it crowd. Um, I, I've used, you know, started getting a job and having some free cash, started using them. And I think that trail cameras served a real purpose in quality deer management and they still do. Um, where it allowed hunters for the first time, and, and John, how old are you? I am 33 years old. We're almost exactly the same age. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you remember, like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, holy cow, you could see what was actually there at a certain level, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, uh-huh. yep. whoa, there's a giant buck I didn't know about, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and they played a big role in all the things we know about whitetails in particular, um, then, and 
I think the reality is that the camera that we grew up with is not the camera of today. And we have to, mm-hmm. you know, these technologies, they just pop up and at some point we have to deal with them. You know, our, our parents and grandparents had to deal with their own, uh, you know, our great great grandparents had to deal with the fact that they had extirpated most of the wildlife from North America. Um, you know, our, mm-hmm. our great grandparents had to deal with, you know, and grandparents had to deal with um, things like fly in rules when it comes to Alaska, where you can't fly in an area and hunt it the same day because it's a disadvantage to the wildlife. You're able to, you know, fly over a bunch of bighorn sheep and you can land and get right over there and shoot one. You know, so these laws that are centered around sportsmanship, um, I'm not saying cellular cameras are wrong or right, but boy, they're brand new technology. We don't really know what to do with them yet, I think. Um, and then you have to understand that Kansas is most of the public access, which is where this ban is. This this does not affect private land of any type. Um most of the public access in Kansas is what we call WEHA. It's walk-in property. So it's leased by the state and it's private land. And so you have, you know, these private landowners, most of them farmers and ranchers, you know, who are walking about on their property, getting pictures sent to somebody in Alabama, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then you have all the traffic associated with them. And then you had a, you, you had a hunter conflict also. I, I personally have had, and I didn't really put two and two together. I kind of just, I hunt and I mostly hunt public land. And so I just deal with what I deal with and, you know, move on. I try not to bother much mm-hmm. with it, but I, I think I personally had someone maybe harass me at least once. Um, maybe, maybe it was a coincidence, but, you know, it seemed like every time I walked by a cellular camera <laughs> this last year, I got, I got harassed, you know. So, um, I don't know. I I think part of the issue was when you write laws, you have to be able to enforce them. And if you make regular cameras still legal, but then cellular cameras not, then how do you know the difference? Anyway, but... Yeah. And while while you're on that real quick, because... I was listening to, I think it was this week's Meat Eater episode, and I just bring this up because Meat Eater's, you know, probably the biggest outdoor podcast mm-hmm. in the country. And uh, I believe, if I heard it right, they were saying that it was only cell cameras that they were banning and not oh, regular well, here's, cameras. But it is a full, it's, it's a full, full out, it's everything, everything banned. Yeah, and, and so here's the other thing that a lot okay. of people don't know. There was already a law written in the books for Kansas that was written, I think, 15 or 20 years ago. And without realizing it, it was against drones. It was for drones, basically, is how the law was written. All of a sudden, we got these cellular cameras. And if you read the law, and I read it last year, because there were some questions that popped up on some forums and Facebook groups, and I was like, wow, that basically bans cellular cameras. But it was so vague because it wasn't written particularly for cellular cameras that you know, a lot of people didn't know what it meant, but so part of this is just enforcing a law that was kind of already on the books to prevent, I I think mostly to prevent um, issues with walk-in properties. So, 
mm-hmm. because it, when we started that program in Kansas, and I wasn't here for that, but um, as I've learned more about the history of it, you know, there was great care and precaution taken to make sure that there was careful and, and conservative use of the public aspect of the walk-in properties so that people could still do their ranching and farming activities and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've obviously seen this, I've read on it a little bit, uh, to be completely honest, I'm not sure where I stand on it. Um, for me, I don't think I would ever run a cell camera on public land just because I'd be yeah. afraid it would get stolen. Um, I did, I had two cameras out this year on Oklahoma public land. Um, but I, I also feel that I'm in a little bit different boat. Like I, I have a, a good private land hunt to play or place to hunt. Sorry. Um, for me going on public and I, I'm sure there's a lot of hardcore public guys who hate people like me. For me, it's more about the adventure. It's, Hey, what could I find? It's about the challenge. Uh, you know, I, I don't have complete control over this property. Um, and in running my two cameras, I ended up, I only hunted that spot maybe three times. And I think all three of those times were actually before I put the cameras out because once I started checking the cameras, it's like, oh, well, I have better deer to hunt over here on my private, so why would I spend time you right. know, here on the public? Um, but if I if I did not have my nice piece of private land and I was completely reliant on that public, uh, you can bet that I would have cameras all over that place trying to find a better buck and trying to figure out where right. other people were hunting. Um, so I, I understand both sides of it. Um and I do too. I, I, I I'm kind of like you. I kind of fall. Ooh, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. But I am glad that we're talking about this because, you know, as I'm sitting here right now, there's, there's a part of me that is like, Oh, well that's not my problem. You know, that's Kansas's problem, but that's also why we're mm-hmm. bringing this up right now because, you know, Kansas is, it's a neighbor of us. And, you know, I, I've said it before. It I've said it before. Like Kansas is not a state that I would have seen doing something like this, you know? And so who knows what's near who's next. Uh, so I, I do think right. it's important that we talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the walk-in private land lease program had a lot to do with that. Um, landowner, I, that's, I, I almost guarantee that's what it was. And it may have been some complaints from hunters as well, but I, you know, I guarantee you it was some farmer that owns a piece of property and was like, wait a minute, there's this drone sitting on this fence post that just took a picture of me and sent it to who, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. So it, I feel like maybe it was, you know, too much of a blanket decision, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. But also Kansas has, and we'll get into this. Kansas is a conservative management state. Mm-hmm. Um, like some others, like Iowa. And so we have, I say we, like I'm, I consider myself an Oklahoman, but Kansans have a history of just taking the more conservative route when it comes to how do we manage our wildlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that that, that shows in this, in this case. Mm-hmm. And I had not thought about the aspect that you brought up about uh, you know, harassment or somebody, you know, gets a picture of somebody headed into their spot. And so they go out there and mess with them. I, I did not think about that. That's what, you know, that's, that's gotta be more of a local thing. Uh, it's still not great, but you know, if some guy is sitting in Alabama, like you mentioned, gets a picture, it's not like they're going to run over there and try to run you out. No, um, no. 
Sorry, and I didn't mean to pick on Alabama. It no, no, I didn't mind. Yeah, yeah, but uh, um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's a really good point about the. I never, yeah, I never thought about it from that aspect. You know, I, I guess we should just talk about some differences between Oklahoma, Kansas, and some other states, if you if you care to. Absolutely, go for it. Um, so just to for those my my friends in Oklahoma. Um, I wanted to point out some differences um, between the two states, and and this is where I want to get into kind of a um, just maybe a a brief education of the history of some Oklahoma decisions and some Kansas decisions, so we can compare as Oklahomans what we want in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like Oklahoma um, is is about to already is starting to deal with something that is completely foreign to most Oklahomans and, and was foreign to me until I moved to Kansas, really, and had other states. And and that comes to non-resident industry having a major role in not only policies, but how good or bad the hunting is and how affordable uh, access is and how crowded the public lands are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that other states have been dealing with for a while. Um, but Oklahoma, it's a very new thing for us. Um, so how many, how many tags do you think Kansas gives out, if you had to guess? Because we have a limited for, draw here for total or non resident for non resident for non resident. Um, yeah, I should know that. I've never hunted there. I have a point. Just been well, I've been trying to hunt there. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to guess somewhere fifteen thousand total guess. Yeah, it's a good guess. It's actually twenty two thousand, mm. which is a lot. Yeah. Um, so those tags are managed, and those are almost all archery tags. Mm-hmm. This is another difference between Oklahoma and Kansas. Um. Oklahoma mostly gives out archery tags to the non-residents, very few rifle and I believe even fewer muzzleloader. Um, but 22,000 are in the draw. Iowa gives out 6,000, mm-hmm. give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Nebraska gives out 16. Um, and Nebraska for a long time had over-the-counter tags, and they, they capped it last year at 16,000. Um, they also are capping their turkey tags this year because of that exponential growth of non-resident turkey hunters there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, some other states that have dealt with a lot of non-resident popularity. Um, but to give you an idea of how new of a thing this is, in Oklahoma, in 2003, we sold less than a thousand non-resident tags or maybe it was 2002 mm-hmm. one of those two years um so you know that's 20 years ago less than a thousand mostly because we just had a bunch of forkies here <laughs> <laughs> you know uh-huh. if you hunted around that time you know uh-huh. <laughs> um but uh to give you an idea it's gone up quite a bit it, it it was going up at a pretty consistent rate, but the last three years, 
been some exponential growth. Mm-hmm. So um, we sold 12,700 tags in 2021. In 2022, we sold 16,730 tags. Mm. These are just non-resident tags. This is yeah. archery gun, muzzleloader combined, mixed. We don't know what the, mm-hmm. the values of those are. So this could be, I would imagine it's probably 50% rifle. Mm-hmm. And the rest is probably muzzleloader and, and archery mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, Oklahoma has... You know, so it has good opportunity for everyone. I feel like it's got good opportunity for muzzleloader hunters, really excellent opportunity for gun hunters, also very good opportunity for bow hunters. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good thing, but it's also going to affect us more because another difference between us and Kansas is that not only does Kansas severely limit the non-resident rifle tags and muzzleloader tags, but they also have a later rifle season that's normally the last few days of November and it's only, I think, 10 or 11 days long. Mm-hmm. And then they have a muzzleloader that's in September, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's a good time to hunt, but it's, you know, it, it, not during the rut. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Another few numbers from Oklahoma. So we sold almost 17,000 tags last year. I think we're going to hit 20,000 this year. Mm-hmm. You listened to, to the Joe Rogan podcast? Uh, I have not. No. Did you hear about Luke Combs talking about Oklahoma? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to hit 20,000. I, I think yeah. it's going to start to exponentially increase because – Another thing that's affecting it is other states like Nebraska mm-hmm. cutting their tags, mm-hmm. Kansas, a lot of people not drawing. Mm-hmm. So that's impacted Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But another interesting figure here, Oklahoma has 250,000, or they have sold 250,000 lifetime licenses. And that's since 1969. So mm-hmm. some of these people may have passed on. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's a lot. If you, if you consider the fact that you combine all of our big game licenses that the figure is, is close to that 250,000. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, the wildlife department, um, they, they estimate that over 50% of people in Oklahoma have a lifetime license. Wow. And so one of the, one of the bills that, that has the, the airbows in it, also affects and makes it easier and cheaper for Oklahomans to buy a, a, a lifetime license. And, uh, you know, that that's a concern for me as a lifetime license holder myself. Mm-hmm. You know, are we writing checks that kids can't sign? Yeah. You know, I think we need to, we need to watch out for that. And, and my goodness, I'm now a non-resident mm-hmm. technically but I'm considered a resident because of that lifetime license. I think I figured up what it saved me since I got it in 2006. And I, I mean, it's in the thousands, Yeah. you know, and that's money that didn't go towards conservation of wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's something we need to consider. Um, 
for me as a non-resident, I feel like I should be contributing dollars. Yeah. I really enjoy that I have resident status so I can go home and hunt with my family. But, you know, I feel like I should be contributing. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard a lot of people have the audacity to complain that they have to, for instance, purchase, you know, a bear tag yeah. because it wasn't included in the contract they signed. You know, like, mm-hmm. what kind of a mindset is that? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and don't take it personal, but just just think about that mindset and where it's going to get us. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing about Oklahoma that's very unique and something we've done, in my opinion, really well about is we've historically had a pretty radical public land expansion program. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the 1980s, uh, we were somewhere around 1% public lands. Um, right now we stand more in the 3% category, and that has largely been due to the expansion program that has been funded by the Lifetime License Program mm. and probably other funds, and it has purchased thousands of acres of wildlife management areas um, over the last 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. And so that's something we've done right, and that's something that recently has been under attack in legislation. Um, Senator by the name of Casey Murdoch uh, multiple times has tried to stifle, shut down the, that program and even sell off you know, or, or make the department or, or the state able to sell off the department lands. Mm. And... So, yeah, remember that name, Casey Murdoch. He's <laughs> going to come up again. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, so we, we've done some things really well. Um, but we're like, we're like the, in my, to give, to give a, a metaphor, we're like the Plains Indians. You know, when the cattle, you know, the, the cattle trains came through and the covered wagon trains came through and, you know, we kind of watched, you know, development come up and down I-35 and mm-hmm. east and west on I-40, you know, people going to Colorado to hunt elk and people, you know, the, the big names going to Texas and Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, for their videoed hunts. And, and because we just had a bunch of forkies at the time that nobody was interested in, yeah, um, we, you know, we just... I think this has been a surprise to us and a lot of the issues that I'm going to illustrate that have happened in Kansas. um, One of the main things we can do to improve that, I believe is to really consider limiting non-resident opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably, probably also raising the cost a little bit. Yeah. Um, You know, we have, incredible value to non-residents as it is. Mm-hmm. So we also, um, Oklahoma borders some pretty large metropolitan areas that have high volumes of sportsmen and women, Dallas in particular, Dallas and Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And there just is no end to the number of people who want to hunt and don't have a place to. Mm-hmm. in that in that area 
um, the number of people is, I, I just don't, I feel like there's no end. <clears throat> and it's growing every day. I think, well, and I think the numbers show it. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just that area. It's other areas. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, like I mentioned, are having more limited opportunity in other states. Mm-hmm. So, I know you, uh, in your podcast that you had a couple of weeks ago, I listened to it. Um, and it was really good. And I think one of the things you mentioned is, uh, or, or maybe was it you that mentioned limiting non-residents to a one buck? That's one of the most popular messages I get. Uh, anytime you bring this stuff up, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had, a. JD Strong on last year, uh, the state, you know, our state's wildlife commissioner, and uh, mm-hmm. I brought it up to him, and he basically said it's as of right now not something they even really consider, um, mm-hmm. just because of the the deer herd, you know, the population, which is you know that's encouraging also, uh, obviously, um, oh, yeah. But, but yeah, that's one of the most common uh, messages <laughs> I get is we need to limit non residents to one buck tag. Um, I've even yeah. heard some people say we need to limit them to one weapon, uh, you know, like, uh, which I don't necessarily like that. Um, you know, if you limit them to one buck tag, that's one thing. But for me, mm-hmm. you know, the way Oklahoma has their structure set up for every weapon, you have to buy a whole nother out of state license. Uh, you know, you don't just right. buy one tag and it's good for all three. Um, so for me, if you're going to limit them to one tag, why not let them spend more money, um, you know, it, it, that's just more right. money in Oklahoma's pocket. So I, I definitely don't go At that far. At least while you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I definitely don't go that far. Um, part of me does say, you know, Oklahoma has, like, you get a ton of tags in Oklahoma. Um, you know, six deer, mm-hmm. basically, if you're an archery hunter. Uh, plus, you know, if mm-hmm. you're if you're in a, uh, a holiday antler list, you can get two more tags. And so... And I've had people come on the podcast, and that's one of their other big complaints, is even residents, you know, just not shooting enough does, especially in western Oklahoma. Um, yeah. And so, that's you know, definitely. That, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, that's, you know, I, I understand where people are coming from, from a deer quality um, thing, as, you know, if you limit to one buck, you're, you're pickier, you get the older age class. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side, like, you know, if our wildlife, if the numbers are telling us that we have a population problem, um, you know, then to me, taking deer off the landscape, you know, could be a good thing. Now, if somebody's taking two bucks and zero does, you know, that could be a different problem. Um, but I guess part of it, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is it's a lot, there's a lot more to it than just saying, you know, you get one buck tag. Right. Um, another distinct difference between Oklahoma and Kansas is that uh, Kansas limits the non-resident tags by unit. Mm. So, for instance, uh, in the far, far southwestern unit of Kansas, I believe it's unit two, um, they give out, let's see here. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Okay, they give out uh, 258 non-resident tags. Those are almost all archery again. Mm-hmm. In the far southeast, they give out 3,300 hmm. in that unit. So, I mean, you see the stark difference between the two units. And Oklahoma is 
just as diverse as Kansas is. Right. And so we've tried to do a good job of of making sure that we, you know, treat those different distinct regions of Oklahoma differently, but we haven't done that with non-residents. Mm. And so I, I definitely feel like non-residents, they will move around just like everybody else, mm-hmm. but they are flocking to certain areas more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that, you know, falls at the whim of the latest YouTube video <laughs> or, the, <laughs> or the latest Joe Rogan podcast, or, uh-huh. you know? And so I, I think that that's something really to consider as Oklahomans is um, we're going to keep coming back to it. Mm-hmm. I think we need to limit non-resident tags and I think we need to do it now mm-hmm. before we hit 30,000 and then decide to. Yeah. Because when we do that, Oklahoma is going to be over the hill, way down the hill, about to plunge into the, you know, catastrophic, you know, terrible hunting situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to want to fix it at that level, which is what happened in Nebraska. Yeah. Nebraska has just been, and they don't have as many deer as us. Mm-hmm. They've been very liberal with their non-resident tags. And it's just, it's been a nightmare if you talk to anybody in Nebraska. Yeah. Um, and then they decided it got so bad and so many people complained, well, we're going to cap them. But they capped them at what they sold last year. Mm. And the same thing happened in Colorado with over-the-counter elk tags. You know, it's gotten so bad in Colorado that I personally, I've gone every, I went every year or for several years. Um, and 2019 was the last year I bought over-the-counter because for me personally, I just saw that it was, not biologically feasible Mm. it wasn't good for the elk Mm -hmm. and it was at a it was at that catastrophic turning point and now you're seeing colorado last two years they've lived at some and this year i think they're really cranking down yeah but it's almost i'm not going to say it's too late but i feel like as oklahomans we should try to get ahead of the ball Mm -hmm. not behind it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's funny uh you I have not heard the Luke Combs interview. Um, I guess I need oh, to go I... listen to it, but it's, um, <laughs> I was, so I'm, I'm a part of the sportsman's empire. This podcast is. And so uh, a guy by the name of Dan Johnson, he started it in Iowa and I'm kind of under that umbrella. And I was listening to his podcast last week and uh, he, he was talking about me. I know, but he, he had Tony Peterson on very well known in the hunting industry and mm-hmm. they kept talking about Oklahoma, and Dan kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, I got a buddy in Oklahoma, and every time I talk about Oklahoma, he texts me and says to shush. <laughs> and I know he was talking about me because uh, I before I started my podcast, I was on his podcast, and uh, he, he started it off by saying, like, cats out of the bag, y'all are no longer a sleeper state. Uh, I, I, I actually had not heard this. He told me, and he's quoted a few times since, that, a few years ago, Oklahoma killed more 200-inch deer than any other state in the country. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what he said. And he you know, he, he says that all the time. And so, of course, I listened to the podcast, and I texted him. I said, hey, you and Tony need to shut up. Um, but you're right. I mean, yes, the, the word is getting out there. Um, you're seeing more TV shows come to Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I uh, – you know, when when you told me sixteen thousand ta- non-resident tags last year, I almost expected that to be higher. Um, but I think you are right. You know, it, it, and I, and I hate it because 
man, like, like I'm just now getting into being a traveling hunter. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this year I, I hope to draw Iowa this year. Um, I'm planning to go to Nebraska this year cause my sister moved there. Um, I thought about putting in for Kansas in case I don't draw Iowa, but unfortunately their draws are backwards. Kansas is before Iowa. Um, and yeah. so I was like, man, if I don't draw Iowa, maybe I'll go to some other state. So I'm just kind of getting into this whole traveling hunting thing. So the thought of all these states starting to limit out of state hunters, it, it's, you know, it's, I almost feel like I missed it. Like I missed my opportunity. Thing. Yeah. I feel like, like, oh man, you know, 10 years ago was the golden age. Yeah. You know, everybody always says that about the patio. You know, it was always better 10 years ago than it is today. And I don't necessarily think that's true. You know, I think the the quality of deer we're hunting now compared to 10 years ago is, is night and day different in a good way. Um, so yeah, it, it, it pains me to think about uh, shutting it down, but it, yeah, it is something that, uh, that we have to think about. Yeah. Um, to give you an idea, non-resident dollars in 2022 were 5.1 million residents were four point. Actually, this is 2020. This is, and I didn't write it down. <laughs> this is some, sometime between 2020 and 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, 5.1 million was non-resident and 4.3 million was resident. Mm. So you see there, and I think 20, I'm, I'm pretty sure 2020 is when the pendulum actually swung. Mm-hmm. Non-residents now pay more than residents. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I, I got a question for yeah, you. Yeah, and, and, and go ahead. Oh, if you need to finish a thought, go ahead. No, no. I'm ADD, so <laughs> okay. I start a thought and then... Yeah, well, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the topic, but shifting gears just a little bit. Um, there's talk of a proposed velvet season uh, as soon as next year. Yeah. Um, which, again, I, I don't know how to feel about it yet. When I first heard about it, super excited. Um, you know, the thought of being able to chase a deer in velvet... Sounds awesome. Uh, but when I dug a little deeper into it, um, I'm not sure I like the way they're going about it um, as a draw system for both residents and non-residents. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I kind of get the thought behind it. But for me, like as as a if you're a resident and it's going to count towards your two buck limit anyway, I don't really understand mm-hmm. the point of a draw for residents. Mm-hmm. Um, I do understand it for, for non-residents, um, uh, but on the non-resident side, you know, like basically the biggest reason they gave to have a velvet season was for the non-resident dollars. Um, the, you yep. know, the money that it would yep. talk, cause I think there's only four or five States right now in the country that have a velvet season. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're preaching that the main reason you want to do this is to make money off non-residents, but you're not allowing it on public land and you're limiting re- non-residents to only 10% of the tags, I feel like you're kind of almost shooting yourself in the foot a little bit. Not not necessarily that I disagree with it, but if, like I said, if you're saying that's your main reason, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with limiting it so much. Right. Yeah. Um, I... Uh... I like some aspects of it. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to the senator that introduced it. Uh, Stevens, I believe. Senator Stevens, Sam Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to get a hold of him, but he must be a busy man. <laughs> um, I'm with you. If if we've 
we sold 16 times the amount of tags last year that we sold 20 years ago to non-residents. Why do we need more of them for one thing? <laughs> Why is that in the bill? Yeah. But maybe that's just semantics because I think when you read the bill, I, I do think, I do think it provides some good things. One, it provides a draw system for non-residents for the first time. So yeah. it, it will put into place that mechanism and revenue stream because you put in for these non-resident tags, you know that it's a revenue stream for the people of the state mm -hmm. because you have all these fees and some of them go towards, you know, management of that policy. But a lot of it just goes right to the coffers. For instance, um, you know, if you put in for Colorado this year, you had to purchase the small game license. Mm -hmm. Um that has unintended consequences, you know, mm -hmm. if you do it that way, but it allows us to get that process started because should we need to limit non-resident opportunity, we don't have, we don't have that system in place. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good thing. I like that it's bow hunting only, mm -hmm. um, but I'm a bow hunter. So that's probably biased. Uh -huh. I just think bow hunting is a more, it's a more conservative method. It's, conservative yeah and you're gonna have another buck season it should be conservative um i think we're gonna have a real problem with baiting in that season mm -hmm. i think it's something that really hasn't been discussed mm -hmm. um that's true it'd be a whole lot easier to tag a mature buck before he before he you know has his testosterone raised and he's still slave to his stomach right mm -hmm. so in my opinion that should be a no baiting. Mm. And if we just have got to sit over corn, we can always try later. Yeah. You know, but I think that's the way it should be, but I don't think it will. Another thing is, um, I think the bill might've been proposed through some outfitters. Mm. And that's something that we need to be careful of in Oklahoma. We don't need, outfitters and outfitter organizations to have any kind of foothold in our policies, particularly in the legislature. Mm. And I think you can follow other states to figure out how bad that is for non-residents to have uh, commercialization and corporatism running wildlife policy in that manner. Yeah. So that, that scares me a little bit, but, but as far as a velvet season, that's a draw, that's archery only, I think it's a really neat idea, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Another thing is maybe, you know, another thing that Kansas kind of sort of does and some other states do, um, and this could be resident or non-resident is Kansas makes you decide if you're going to hunt with archery equipment for either species, mule deer and whitetail, or if you're going to hunt with any of the weapons you want to, for whitetail only. Mm. And that's something Oklahoma doesn't do. And we have so few mule deer and we have even fewer than we had five or 10 years ago. You know, I think that's something that we should consider for the mule deer, if not also provide some picking and choosing between seasons, even among residents. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm glad you brought up mule deer. Um, I haven't talked a ton of mule deer on here. You know, I'm complete opposite side of the state. I would love to shoot a mule deer um, every year. I make some some rough plans, and of course they never work out because it's just so far away yeah. for me. Um, it's a long way. <laughs> but I've I've talked to people who have you know hunted and taken mule deer and stuff. Um, one thing I would love to see for mule deer only would be an antler point restriction of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. because I've talked to people who go hunt, you know, the, the very few public places you can go hunt them up in the panhandle and mm-hmm. everybody says the thing, same thing. Everybody shoots the first buck they see because they want to shoot a mule deer buck, you know? Um, and so I remember one guy, I talked to one guy who had, uh, he had drawn one of the draw tags for mule deer on, I believe it was beaver or the McFarland unit of beaver or something. And he called mm-hmm. the the game agency ahead of time. Was talking to him, and I think <laughs> I, I want to say they I want to say they knew of eight three year old bucks on the twenty two thousand acre. I think it's twenty two thousand acres. They knew of eight right. three year old bucks, and basically, you know, whether it's through the season or through the draw hunts, pretty much every year all those bucks get killed. And then you know the next year you have five to ten more three year olds, and they all get killed. Um, and again, right. it's because everybody goes out there, they see a mule deer buck, they've never killed a mule deer buck, so their standards are way lower. So I think it, I think well, it would help the mule deer population that. a ton. Yeah, it's not just that. It's that mule deer are a very different species with completely different defense mechanisms than whitetail. Mm. Um, I've hunted them quite a bit unsuccessfully for the most part. <laughs> um, I, you know, I shoot a stick bow, so I got to get within 25 yards. Uh-huh. Um, but they're a really easy animal to get within, I mean, within a hundred, I don't, it, they're real easy mm. and within, within 50 or 60, they're still quite easy. Um, and so, yeah, you just, you just can't treat white, t- white tail and mule deer the same way, or you're going to eliminate your mule deer. And Kansas dealt with that. Mm-hmm. They did that for a long time. Um, and they didn't. They didn't limit them soon enough, and they didn't limit them enough, fast enough. And um, I mean, our mule deer population in Kansas has plummeted, and that's with to give you an idea. Kansas has probably probably eight or ten times the number of mule deer that Oklahoma does, mm-hmm. um, based off numbers that that I've compared. I I could be a, a little off on that, but. We have a lot more mule deer in Kansas, but we only give out 145 non-resident tags. No, excuse me, only 145 tags for for a mule deer stamp altogether. So that includes residents and non-residents. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have mule deer all the way from the Oklahoma Panhandle all the way up to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So, and even that hasn't really been enough. And there's other not just hunting pressure there's other issues that mule deer are facing i think that they are uh, more susceptible to a lot of diseases particularly chronic wasting disease mm-hmm. and they compete with whitetail and they don't compete very well so yeah the, mule deer is a complicated issue and yeah we better do something quicker we may not have any more mule deer <laughs> you know if if there were 20 mule deer three or four years ago and there's eight now i mean what's to say there's going to be three in a couple of years and somebody's going to shoot the last one mm-hmm. yep. there are hunters that would go 
to a place and see one mule deer buck on a vast acreage and spend two weeks looking for another deer and then shoot that one buck. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen this happen with turkeys, you know, kind of another species that they do fine until they get down to a lower population and boy, they can crash, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, I think, I think mule deer need some help in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I quoted him earlier, so I'll quote him again. You know, one thing that Steve Rennell talks about a lot is the old Buffalo hunters. And, uh, you know, at one point there was so many Buffalo that it just didn't occur to them that they wouldn't be there anymore. And even as they were killing the last ones, they still just hung around, you know, just expecting the next herd to show up. Um, and you know, it could be the same way with just about anything. And yeah, our poor Turkey numbers nationwide, poor Turkey numbers are, are way, way down. Yeah. I I think they're coming back up just a little bit. I hope so. I've seen a little bit. Yeah. It it hit Kansas hard too. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess, um, I guess we could probably bring up, is there anything else you wanted to, to bring up on the 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 only thing we haven't touched on that I don't know if you've done any research uh, I haven't I haven't done much myself. Um, there's some talk uh, about taking CWD regulations away from the wildlife department. Have you heard much on that? I haven't. That's a really good topic, though. Um, I I believe the the talk, and again, I'm not sure what stage it's in is to take it away from the wildlife department and give it to basically the ag department, um, which hmm. I, I just, I don't understand the thought behind that whatsoever. Hmm. Um, I wonder if Casey Murdoch's name is going to come up on that one. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> just, just a guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's on the ag department. Yeah. Um, so that's a good topic. We have the commission Mm -hmm. and we have the legislature and there's really no checks and balances for either one, not good ones. So the legislature, the commission technically answers to the legislature. So let's say we get this velvet season to go through or, or this air gun bill, which we can talk about here in a minute. Mm -hmm. If it goes through the commission is as far as I know, required to implement those measures. Hmm. Um, but the commission is also required to have a set time frame where public comment can be made, and they have to go through an entire process, and it's lengthy. Um, it's not Legislation that goes through the commission is never going to take place that next hunting season, mm-hmm. always going to have significant public comment, in person and online, it's a much slower, more, more comment oriented, uh, method of, of changing wildlife policy, mm-hmm. but also the commission kind of can do what they want to a certain extent. Right. And then you have the legislature, which, you know, they are, are voted representatives. Um, 
but that moves so fast. I mean, this uh, this the Airbow bill or the the Velvet bill. By the time people heard about it, it, it was literally all the way through both Congresses, and now it's I believe it sits on the governor's desk soon, doesn't it? I believe so. Yeah. So I mean, things can happen so fast, and then there's devious, you know, devious politics involved, and um, you know, just just methods of lobbying and changing things and amending bills, and things can happen very quickly and go very poorly for sportsmen and women, and then it goes right to the Wildlife Commission and. As far as I know, all they can do is accept comment on it. Mm. And so states like Colorado are dealing with this, um, with the proposition on wolves. Mm-hmm. You know, us hunters and, and outdoorsmen and women, we've been commenting through this whole process. And what we didn't realize is that we're just throwing our opinions in the air and they're forced to do what the legislature told them to do through the ballot initiative. Mm-hmm. And it's being used in states like, you know, Colorado for that purpose, but then on the commission level, for instance, the state of Washington now has an anti-hunting commission. Hmm. And remember I said the commission kind of can do what it wants, right? right? And the commission is appointed by the governor in most states. So I feel like some checks and balances might be good to where we can work through the legislature, but then it has to go to the commission and get approved, and then it's maybe sent back to the legislature. Mm-hmm. And where maybe the legislature has some, you know, some role on commission decisions. I I don't know the answers there, but it's a sticky place to be as a hunter or fisherman because we understand that for now, the wildlife department tends to have our best interests at mind. It has, I I believe it has in the past for the most part. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know that about the legislature, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, and then we have in the legislature, we have um, obviously a Republican majority, which is good. But Republican majority tends to always side with commercialism. Yeah. Um, and. The only reason I know, for instance, about the Airbow bill is through a Democratic mm-hmm. congressman who reached out on a forum for bow hunters to see what we thought. And so it's got to be a non, in my opinion, I think you should be able to talk about hunting policy across the aisle. I feel like it right. ideally should be a nonpartisan issue if we can make it that. Yeah. So. Definitely. Well, you've you've touched on it several times. I want to make sure we get to it before we got to jump off here. Uh, let's talk about these air bows. Yeah, what's your opinion? Have you read the bills? I, I have. I've read uh, most of them. Uh, I I definitely think I'm anti. Um, the the big thing that stood out to me, and again, I've had several people send me you know several different articles on it and stuff. Um, but uh, it it sounds like to me that even most Airbow manufacturers do not believe they should be used in archery seasons. That's the thing that really stuck out to me. Um, and I, I talked about on the podcast you referred to earlier that I, I kind of did by myself, where I just kind of rambled and ran it on some of this stuff. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. mentioned that 
I think crossbows take a lot of blame where they maybe shouldn't. Um, I do believe crossbows are, yes, easier than a than a traditional compound bow or especially a longbow. Uh, but I don't think you take a com uh, or a, a crossbow, put it in some random guy's hands, and all of a sudden he's just this you know crazy killer. Uh, but I right. do think an airbow is that type of weapon where someone with you know absolutely no archery experience whatsoever can take this weapon. I believe they're CO2 powered. You use like an air tank to, to pressure them up. Um, right. You know, you slide an arrow down the barrel, you take the safety off and you shoot it, you know, very fast for a pretty good distance. Um, and so, yeah, to me, just in no, you know, you know, somebody pointed out like there's not even a string on it. Like how are you going to call it archery equipment if there's no string? Um, so yeah, right. I, I'm, I'm pretty against it personally. If you want to use it during rifle season, I don't guess I have a problem with that. Um, you know, it can be a good management tool. It's quieter than a gun. If you know, if you're trying to take some does, something like that. Um, yes, but definitely for archery season, I, I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I'd like to say a few other things. Mm-hmm. And so the bills, I got an update for you on these bills today. Okay. Um, I talked to Sen- uh, uh, Representative Ty Burns. He's one of the folks on the wildlife committee in um, in the House. Mm-hmm. And he said that the House bill, um, which is the one that give, gave full inclusion, it also negatively affected the funds raised through lifetime licenses. There were a couple other small things on it. Um, that's 2355 in the House that it was sent back to the house and it's kind of a wounded bill at the moment is, is the way he worded it. doesn't mean it can't come back to life, but you know, it, it's probably going to go through significant changes and may get voted against now mm-hmm. the Senate bill. And I'd like to point out that this is a classic two chambers of the legislative body lobby technique. This, this bicameral, lobbying technique where you get one bill that says one thing in the house and one bill that says another thing, but it's a little different in the Senate. Mm-hmm. This is classic lobbying. I don't know who's behind it, but it's, it's well put together. And the Senate bill, Senate bill 352, it's a live round and it will be voted on sometime next week, most likely in the Senate. Mm. And it will be headed to the governor's desk mm. um, if it's passed. So, and John, I just found out about this like a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Like this is the problem yeah. with with legislators dictating wildlife with with no checks and balances. Like mm-hmm. it just happens so fast. There's no there's no room for comment. But back to the crossbows, um, I would agree with you that they aren't a rifle, um, and that the advantages that they give people are pretty limited. But they're there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I would, I would point out that crossbows have gotten us to a unique place as bow hunters. Um, the path that was taken with crossbows closely mirrors the path that was taken with these air guns. So last year, air guns were legalized during rifle season. Mm-hmm. And I call them air guns, but they're called air bows. And I'd like to point out that, yes, they do shoot a projectile that resembles <laughs> or is made to be an arrow. Mm-hmm. 
but what are they going to do in 10 years? I mean, how small is that air quotes arrow going to get? Yeah. You know, they're an air gun mm-hmm. that shoots an arrow. And that's an important distinction to make. But it was this stair-step lobbyism, lobbyism technique that happened through the commission in this case with the crossbows in 2009 um, where they took, you know, they took one step and then they took another step. And so in 2007, we sold 11,000 archery permits. Um, and hunters, excuse me, we took 11,000 deer Mm. with archery equipment in 2007, approximately 11,000. And this is available on the department website if you want to look it up. In 2008, we passed through the Wildlife Commission persons over 60 years old, because remember, we don't have enough hunters. We need more hunters. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was the idea behind it. In 2008, we killed 16,000 deer. Wow. So four or 5,000 more deer than in 2007. Mm-hmm. Then in 2000, so this is 2008 in 2009, the very next year, they passed it for everybody. I didn't realize it had been and that we didn't long. See, yeah, it has. I was, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was in one of those commission meetings, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was interesting. Actually, there was someone in that commission meeting that pointed out that if we weren't careful, we might have these airbows because airbows were around in 2009. Mm. We might have these airbows in our archery seasons. And I thought, well, that could never be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I'm not anti-crossbow. I just want to point out some numbers here and the process that was taken. So. Then in, so 16,000 deer were killed during archery in 2008, four and a half thousand more than in 2007. Mm-hmm. 2014, how many deer do you think we killed with archery equipment? I'm going to say a lot. 25,000. Mm. You know, so that's with 96,000 bow hunters. Uh-huh. And in 2007, we had more like 78, I think. Mm-hmm. No, maybe 80, something like that. So, the high 70s, low 80s in 2007, I think. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You were saying something. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, something. You were talking about the, the air bows and the size of the arrow and, you know, where could it go from there. You know, one thing that we've got to watch with the crossbows, especially in the last, you know, four or five years, is the crossbow technology. Um, you know, in mm-hmm. 2009, a crossbow was two, two and a half foot wide. Now I think they have something, some that are like nine inches wide. Um, they have, you know, reverse draw and everything. So they've just, and they've got, you know, they've gotten faster, they've gotten narrow, they've become more handy. Um, and so, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that up with the air, but, you know, eventually is the quote arrow that these air guns shoot, are they going to be, you know, two inches long with blades on the front? They're going to start making it out of lead. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that's Um, an interesting thing. Uh, well, and I'd like to point out the, the point I'm getting to here is that, Technology makes a difference in more than one way. It's not just how easy it is, you know, or the range effectiveness, et cetera, et cetera. It's other other things that are impacted. So 25,000 deer were killed with archery equipment in 2014. In 2021, we killed 36,000. 
Okay, so we in, in what is it, 13 years, we went from 11,000 to 36,000. Yeah. So how can you tell me that they have not affected bow season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Because they have. Now, is it the end of the world? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But they've certainly almost tripled. And it's not just crossbows. It's compound technology. It's yeah. the popularity mm-hmm. of both methods. Yeah. I was going to um, bring those two things up just kind of in a devil's advocate type role. But, yeah, I, I, exactly. do, think, I do think bow hunting more popular and obviously compound bows have gotten a whole lot better also right um i wish i had the number written down here but i think we're somewhere around 130,000 archer archery hunters now mm-hmm. so yeah it, it wasn't just the technology it was the popularity that came along with the ease of technology mm-hmm. and i like i said I, I can't say i'm necessarily against them but you know decisions have consequences the other thing is the gun harvest in oklahoma has risen as well um and the participation has as well so in 2004 we killed 58,000 with rifle and in 2021 we killed 76,000 mm-hmm. some of that is potentially population right increase um but if you look at the doe to buck ratio on the harvest it's we're killing a lot more bucks yeah um, so, and, and archery has become the second buck tag of choice mm-hmm. and it's become one of the bigger indicators of rut time harvest mm-hmm. and Oklahoma is shielded somewhat from the impact because we have such a good muzzleloader season and such a good, especially as such a good rifle season. Mm-hmm. And we have that two buck limit. It does shelter archery season to a certain extent because the opportunities in the other seasons are so good. Right. I mean, you see that, that Iowa is dealing with these crossbows and Kansas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have those nice, awesome opportunities for gun and muzzleloader hunters. And so the, it's been as great or greater the impact that crossbows and bow hunting popularity have have caused, you know, so much more of the impact to be made during the rut. Mm-hmm. Um so even with even with limited non-resident tags, so yeah. Iowa, Iowa should be real careful about that. I think I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so I was on uh, I was on Dan's podcast last week, and uh, he he invited me to come on to talk about hog hunting because he was doing a series on he called it the Anything But Deer series. You know, he was just trying to kind of change it up, and he called me. He's like, "Hey, uh, let's forget hogs. I want to talk about this legislation stuff." Because they, I mean, just like Oklahoma's <laughs> dealing with, I was going through a bunch of this. Yeah. And, and yeah, he, I, which I did not realize that crossbows were not legal in Iowa. I thought they were legal just about everywhere. And, you know, one thing that I've brought up talking about, uh, you know, a lot of people think that if Oklahoma went to a one buck limit, they'd just overnight be this great whitetail state. And it, but, you know, everybody compares it to Iowa. They're like, oh, we could be Iowa. We could be Iowa. <laughs> but, but one thing I always bring up Iowa is not a one buck state. In fact, if you're a landowner, you can get three buck tags. Um, right. But I, I will say, you know, knowing now that they are not a crossbow state, I mean, that definitely probably plays a role in the quality of the deer there. They're also not a rifle state. Yep. They've been shotgun for a long time. And, um, but another thing that, 
is an issue in Oklahoma that is not an issue in Kansas with the crossbows and archery equipment, generally speaking, is that when you have a one buck limit, which Kansas does, you got to kind of pick. Yeah. Am I going to, I mean, you can hunt seasons until you shoot one, but then you're done. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's probably been, you know, more impact because in Oklahoma, because and it, and it'll be the same way in Iowa. It's a free buck tag. Yeah. If you pick up a crossbow. Yeah. Uh, or archery equipment, whichever you choose. But mm-hmm. you know, it it has a lot of impact in that case. And and so I think, as a bow hunter, if we made people choose between residents included, between your two bucks with archery equipment, or your two bucks with muzzleloader and rifle equipment. I'd be okay with that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because muzzleloading equipment, muzzleloader season has suffered. So we aren't selling as many muzzleloader tags to residents, at least mm-hmm. as we used to, mm-hmm. because why hunt during muzzleloader for nine days when you could hunt three and a half months with crossbow or bow, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Um, makes sense. All these, all these little things with policies, they, they, they steer us hunters one direction or another, residents, non-residents. And, and I like when, when we give people a choice, pick one in order to be more conservative, uh-huh. uh, as opposed to just, you know, for instance, you, you mentioned with the non-residents, you know, we make them buy a whole nother license if they want to hunt with a bow and then they want to pick up a gun. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives them an option to a certain extent and I think I don't know mm-hmm. I'm not a one buck person though yeah um, Kansas I, is a one buck state and be careful what you wish for because the un- <laughs> there's unintended consequences with a yeah. one buck yeah and I, I'm not either I've been I think fairly vocal about that I, I feel like I'm in the minority there but uh, me personally um You know, I tend to use that second buck tag as more of a management tag. You know, I have a lot Mm -hmm. of six, seven, eight-year-old 125-inch eight points on my wall uh, that, you know, have never or were never going to amount to anything that I was able to take because of that second buck tag. Um, So I'm I'm pretty pro. Again, you know, it's all in the person, and unfortunately there's not a way to – interview somebody to decide whether they get one tag or two tags but um yeah so it's you just never know. well and, and the reality the reality is oklahoma has peaked i believe mm. and i believe it's it is headed downhill mm-hmm. a little bit and depending on the policies we adopt it it will speed up down that hill or it will it will stay a little past peak yeah you know and that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, but also, with with the way chronic wasting disease works, and Oklahoma is starting to get more and more of it, I hope that we're sheltered because of the subspecies we have. Another thing, mm. people compare Kansas to Oklahoma all the time. Like, mm. well, you know, Kansas, Kansas got the big deer. We could have those in Oklahoma if we just had one. And I just, I've lived in Kansas for four years now. A two and a half year old buck in Kansas 
most cases will score what a three or four year old buck in Oklahoma will. It's just, it's a totally different subspecies. doesn't mean there's not amazing bucks in both States, Mm -hmm. but I, I, every time I go and I hunt both States each year, I am amazed at not only the habitual differences between there's a subspecies change somewhere along the Kansas Oklahoma border Mm -hmm. or close to it. One of my favorite spots that I hunt is uh, 10 or 15 miles from the Kansas border. And I've killed, you know, they, they open it up a lot. So I, you know, I haven't killed mature deer off there last couple of years, but um, you know, before they opened it up to a lot more hunting, I killed a mature buck or two in there um, fairly consistently and, not a single one of those mature deer mm-hmm. were over 125 inches. Mm. And then this year I shot my biggest buck ever, 147, uh, Pope and young. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was probably four and a half, maybe five. It just, anyway, not, not to, not to poo poo Oklahoma, just yeah. to say, <laughs> You can't compare the two. and I agree. And the way chronic wasting disease, we, we may not, and Kansas may be dealing with this too, we may not be able to manage for age structure like we have in the past. Mm. Um, you know, if you, if you do any research on CWD, it's an issue. Or yeah. letting all these bucks get big and old is making the whole herd. Mm. Uh, more prone and and the prevalency rate greater of chronic wasting disease. So I think we can talk about quality deer management a lot, but there's a little bit of a catch 22 there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, I hate to cut you off, but we're, we're a good bit over an hour now. (laughs) And uh, and I know you can keep going. So, um, Man, thank you. I mean, we got the most the, of our points. Yeah, the numbers you covered, all that was fantastic. Uh, even the politicians and everything like that. So, uh, let's say somebody <laughs> listens to this and they want to reach reach out to you or get a hold of you to to get some more information. Uh, you want to shout out like your Instagram or something way folks can find you. Uh, sure, I'm on. Uh, I, I build traditional archery equipment. So I build uh, longbows and recurves. Um, that's I do that part time and. So my business is Tall Tines Archery on Instagram and Facebook. So awesome. you can follow me there, and uh, I'll I'll have some updates on the um, Airbow Bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping that it it uh, come to our senses and make a good decision on that. But I guess we'll take it either way. Yep. So. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I may be giving you a call soon about uh, building me a new longbow. I'm in the market, so that, that'd be great. Thank you so much I love again. talking to people about that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on. Super informative, and uh, we will talk to you next time. All right. There it is, folks. I think this might be in the top five longest podcast I've ever put out, but uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, this stuff is just really, really important, and so I challenge anybody listening to this, go do some research for yourself, um, You know, look up your local representatives, call them, tell them your opinions about this stuff, and, um, and we just need to be better as a hunting community on 
on voicing our opinions. So again, that's why I'm covering this stuff so thoroughly. Um, like I said, I'm probably going to have one more episode on this at least. So thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go. I appreciate all the love and support. Keep reaching out to me. I love hearing from you guys. And until next time, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.